Welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine. And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. Welcome. Right. <laughs> Welcome, Welcome back. Welcome back. Episode 144. Yeah, today's a special day because we actually have a guest. I tried to just replace Heather, but she still showed up. Yeah. She's persistent. She is. So, so did, do you want to... Do I get to speak? Yes, go ahead and make the introduction. I will make the introduction. So today we have our future colleague, just hasn't accepted that yet. Because, you know, we're in the middle of Nowhereville, Minnesota. So, anyway. So, this is Mika. Mika, welcome to the Addiction Connection Podcast. Yes, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Uh, my name is Mika Miris. I'm from the Twin Cities area, Minneapolis. I am a PA student at Augsburg University. Oh, nice. Should there have been clapping? Oh, yeah, wait. I think so. Wow, wow. Where is my... Oh, it's a pause. There you go. PA student. Okay. Yeah, and today I'll be talking about substance use disorders and transgender and... <laughs> I wasn't done yet. <laughs> oh. You're good. Okay, Sorry. good, good. I'll be talking about substance use disorders in transgender and gender nonconforming populations. You know, and you're going to have to... You know, I'm the oldest person in this group, and I'm not going to... Do I don't think, think we need to put ages out there. We added our ages together. <laughs> yeah, we probably equal Kurt's age. No, you're way more. But we're less. You know, maybe you could start <laughs> out by just some of the definitions because I think some of this gender identity stuff is often for certain age groups a little bit more difficult to grasp. Yeah, for sure. No, I yeah, let's go over a couple of the definitions of gender identity gender identity versus sex versus other. So um Gender identity is the innermost concept of yourself as a female, as a male, or as a blend of both or neither. So that's what you personally feel. Yes, that's what you personally feel. Whereas sex is kind of what you're assigned at birth. So if you're male, female, intersex, um, it's based off of your external anatomy. Not Mm. chromosomes. Not chrom- uh, or chromosomes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think I'm often tripped up by this whole binary thing. Explain that. Yeah, so <laughs> you're you're skipping ahead. Well, I want to. I'm too bad. Okay, you can finish. What's oh, going go ahead and on finish the first then. part. All good. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, some people I also identify as gender nonconforming. So they, you know, gender nonconforming is a broad term referring to people who don't really behave in a way that conforms to traditional expectations of gender. Hmm. Um, so how is so I'm going to interrupt there, too. Yeah, the, like that joke about the interrupting cow. Moo. Moo. Um, my God. Sorry. Um, gender nonconforming has, to me, that this this in itself is, like, very fluid. And I would think has changed over time. Meaning, gender nonconforming would have been very different, like, when Kurt was growing up. You know, like... Pretty sure you didn't wear pink when you were a kid because that was just not acceptable for a dude. When there was dinosaurs. And yeah. <laughs> Versus, like, when I was in high school, like, every guy, I mean, guys wore pink all the time because that was just what you did. Yeah. But it wasn't still super acceptable for, like, a female to be on the football team yet. So Versus what you're saying now, is... it's more acceptable for females to be on male sports teams. So I'm saying like the non-conforming Part the definition of it. kind of has 
I think it's yeah. pretty fluid it's depending changes. on generations. Not fluid, it changes with time. I see fluid would mean it goes back and forth. Well, it could. It depends on who yeah. you're asking. I think in rural Minnesota, it's probably very different than in Minneapolis. Yeah. No. <laughs> Not at all. No. no, I would agree with that. I, I think that um, people can identify as male or female, but then say that they, because you have to check a box in a lot of society, like you are, you know, you're told to, you know, check a box, say male or female for your license for, you know, other documentation. And so I think a lot of people say like, I'm male, I'm female, but I identify as non-binary or gender non-conforming. Um, so I don't really conform to gender, but I have one that, like, when I need to pick, I go to that. Sure, mm. sure. Okay. So non-binary. Yeah, let's get to that. I, I'm impatient, like the, like the cow. Yes. Interrupting <laughs> cow. She just looks at me. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, um, help. <laughs> no. um, some, so some non-binary people and gender non-conforming people do identify as transgender, but some people just have always felt that they've been in the middle of the genders, um, you know, they view gender as a spectrum. Sure, sure. And so um, they don't necessarily see themselves as exclusively male or exclusively female. Um, yeah. So does that, I mean... You're going to have a lot of questions, I, aren't you? No, I... Okay. I mean, we just might need to make this multiple talks, which, I mean, there's a lot of slides that fit in one talk when it's not our typical topic. I don't... Mm. Anyway, anyway, so... Non-binary. Now, does it, is there, I don't want to say that, is there a look? Because that seems a little bit too, like, boxed. But can people be considered non-binary? Like, let's say I'm non-binary, binary, but if I had to pick a box, it'd be female. But, you know, yes. maybe you my sure? actions or behaviors or things like I enjoyed or things I did would be more considered on the male end of the spectrum. But yet, still like to wear dresses and high heels and makeup. Like, how yeah. does... Does that even matter? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I know people that, like, love to paint their nails, love to wear makeup, but they feel masculine. I mean, you look at, yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. the reality is it's a case-by-case -case thing. Sure. Okay. Um, you, and I think that's what's important about working with this patient population is getting to know the people that are in front of you and, like, asking them their preferences um, in regards to their gender and how you refer to them. And, um, yeah, I think it's important. Okay. I know I didn't really no. answer your question. No, but no, no. I, 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 I'm going to go kind of back to when we were in starting opioid world. We would get so frustrated because it's like everybody should, I mean, even still, everyone should treat addiction. Like this isn't something, this is no different than it. if you're a primary care provider, you're treating blood pressure, you're treating diabetes. Why do you not have to also treat addiction? Why do you get to select and choose? So based on everything you just said, like, I don't even know why there has to be, like, everybody should just do this. Like, the reality that this shouldn't be any different. It's kind of, you know, your patient identifies, you know, I'm a football player. I'm a ballerina. That doesn't mean I have to go to a doctor that only deals with those things. You know, so you if you identify me, as, you know, yeah, I think that's matter? why there's a big push for, for people that do want gender-affirming care to for providers who work in family medicine to start taking them on rather than having to go to specialist care. Because it's not overly complicated to manage transgender patients. I see finally where you were going, Heather. Took me a minute to figure out your <laughs> angle there, but she clarified. Good. Good. <laughs> you just didn't say it in a way that was clear. And 
Okay, well, I'm Mika glad did. we've now allowed all listeners to understand. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on, thankfully, um, you have some stuff in here about discrimination, how kind of that's whoa. maybe... Whoa. No, that's... We're not even... Not, you haven't even talked about the substance use disorder top part of the page. Oh, I'm sorry. Where are you? You missed this whole page. Oh, man. I'm sorry, Mika. Oh, my gosh. Unacceptable. So, so anyway, we're talking about... You can't about, replace <laughs> Well, this is the same stuff. It's this mediating factors for substance use disorder, right? So what kind of things that we see that are mediating in this patient population? Yeah, so the... The higher prevalence of substance use disorder in transgender and gender nonconforming individuals is thought to be due to the combination of multiple different factors, including social and environmental factors like discrimination, lack of access to health care, and lack of social support, and some of the stigma that trans people experience. Stigma? I didn't even know stigma existed anymore. <laughs> Believe <laughs> like it. Like we see it every day. So basically, the more of these negative pieces, the more likely to end up with, you know, substance use disorders or... Although have there barely been studies that would say the more of these you have? Because you had talked before about how there's not great studies, there's more surveys. Yeah, there's a lot of surveys um, on this topic. It's hard to find like controlled, randomized controlled trials or things like that. Like how do you do that with discrimination? Right. When it's often like a a subjective thing that people go through and, and experience. So... Um, yeah. Now, I may paint you into a corner here, but there's a whole thing about gender minority stress, right? And this, the different types of stigma. And I don't know that I've ever seen stigma broken down like this. And so I don't know if you can explain. Break it down is what he's asking. Like not break dance. You don't have to break dance. I won't, I won't be doing that for sure. Perfect. (laughs) Um, Yeah, the gender minority framework um, builds on a minority stress theory. Um, It kind of considers how gender identity and expression are distinct factors that interact with societal expectations of gender. Um, Yeah, and so there's, you know, enacted stigma, which are experiences of discrimination. There's shame. So, things I actually feel from people. Yes, exactly. And then there's this, like, there's shame and um, self-devaluation, which is kind of internalized. Um, intra, that's what we use in um, addiction world, remember? Intrapersonal factors Correct. versus interpersonal factors. Oh, yeah. Okay. So. Intrapersonal. Mm-hmm. I'm hip to that. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Come on. Got it. It's a Pee Wee Herman reference. I'm hip to you, oh. dude. Never mind. Social <laughs> sigma are feelings of shame and self-devaluation, um, um, which is kind of similar to um, internalized stigma in a way. Mm. Um, and then layers of stigma. Some people, um, you know, are, have substance use disorder and are transgender and have other sources of stigma or oppression in their life. Well, Um, it could be race related. Could be race related. That's funny because when I looked at that, that let's layers, but yeah, now that you, you lay it out like that, I mean, that's, you could be really the subject of multiple types of stigma. You know, all wrapped up in one person. Okay, so you have a little bit of a, looks like a study or a stru- or a survey or something done here in San Francisco Bay yes, area. Yes, in San Francisco Bay. Um, there was a study done, um, oh, I don't know what year it was. It doesn't matter. We'll okay. put all the resources somewhere in the okay. 
episode notes. Mm-hmm. Y'all. Okay, perfect. So. Um, but it included age, uh, trans female youth, 16 to 24, in the San Francisco Bay Area. And um, it found that there was associ- um, that these experiences were associated with increased odds of PTSD, depression, and stress related um, to suicidal thoughts. Hmm. Now, was this more of a was this more of a, a survey or was this more of a this was an actual study? So yeah, so they it was a survey, um, but yeah, I guess I called it a study, didn't I? I'm t- no. I think this. I don't know. There did they just take a cross section of trans female youth in that area? Yeah, and then they so they filled out. Um, so yeah, because they, I mean, it's discrimination, so it's subjective. That's going to have to be more of a more survey, of a survey base. Yeah. So discrimination was um, measured fol- using the following five-point questionnaire about discrimination, and they were able to say whether they've had any discrimination in trying to get a job, in um, having to drop out of schools because of their gender, discrimination, losing a career opportunity because of gender, or having to, like, you know... L- change friends, family, um, because of their gender, and then also healthcare experiences with healthcare providers. Have you had access to healthcare? Have you had access to good, have you felt safe when you've been at a healthcare sure. provider? Interesting. Um, and they were able to then additionally um, state whether they thought that was based upon their appearance, whether they looked like too feminine or, you know, gender-based discrimination. So it was a tribute, they tried to attribute it. Yeah, they tried to attribute their, you know, to experiences to that. Yeah, yeah, and then you and it was this part of the same study on that uh, next slide where it talks a little bit about kind of the mediating factors. You know that that the parental closeness was a was actually a positive, so you'd have less of these uh, issues, and and apparently uh, drug use was less in people that had more connections to their parents. Is that basically what that's saying? Yes, so they filled out a 10. So again, it was another survey component of this um, of this evaluation, and they did um, a parental 10 questions based on research from the Family Acceptance Project, which um, yeah, which has questions based you know on parental closeness and how safe you feel with your parents and um, how accepting they are of you, and the higher that score was those patients tended to have decreased odds of mental health challenges. Um, it's interesting because you would think that that would probably follow through with maybe every family. Do you think? Right? I mean, I, if you don't yeah. have closeness to your... I mean, I, I've never seen a study done like that. You know, that's interesting because you'd think that... Well, I mean, it kind of is like ACE scores. I mean, childhood neglect is one of the questions on ACE yeah. scores and safety and did you have whatever you needed. This looks like it takes your A score and then makes it, like, primes it even worse, like takes your A score of four, and yet when you have lack of parental closeness, it maybe your ace of four actually acts like a seven. Or yeah. your ace of four with all this extra support around acts like a two. It's almost like resiliency scoring and the opposite of resiliency scoring on top of an A score. I, anyway. think, I think, too, though, if you think about this, I mean, with the kind of the chaos surrounding potentially, you know, being transgender at a certain age, probably parental closeness maybe occurs less often. Would you say that that's, I mean, in general, just as a... hmm. Well, in general, in general, in terms of those who started using my experience and anecdotally, 
patients who started using substances at a really certain, you know, young age, not all of our patients in our clinic all had A scores. I mean, we have A scores of zero. Yeah. And so that fits more the, I got this prescribed group. There's like two groups that had opioids. They either started young with a bunch of other drugs or they were prescribed an opioid and then it kind of progressed into other substances. Yep. So I would say, yes, that's probably in general for some of our patients, but those who had zero A scores yet are in our clinic doesn't necessarily fit that. Mm. Yeah. I, th I think that I would agree with that. And I think part of it is that the the reason that some of these patients don't have relationship with their parents is probably because of their gender, too. Like, they didn't accept their identity, and so therefore, you know, they're, they don't have parental closeness. Yep. Okay. And actually, I'd have to say I've seen families on both sides of that. Mm -hmm. yep. So with that, and I don't know if it's even coming up again. I haven't run through these. It doesn't look like it, just on first glance. Does it have any correlation or in these surveys or anecdotally what you think based on doing all this research? What about the age in which, like, is there a difference in age of which a person or a child maybe starts to more strongly affirming, affirmingly, that's not a word, nope. identify or, you know, have gender nonconforming and like, does that matter versus, you know, parental closeness. If you're, if you're an elementary school student starting to have some of these thoughts or questions or whatever. And does that matter versus if it's all of a sudden a high school student? And was it the high school student didn't come forward because they didn't feel safe? Or was it they just really didn't know? Like, I don't know. Does age matter in any of this? <laughs> you could have just you could have just went with that right away. I know, but I think it matters. It, it, it's why didn't he, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of questions in there wrapped in a final question that seemed to be Mika the actual question. What I mean. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. No, I think that that's a big question for people. I think there's some people that have experienced these thoughts and feelings their whole life and then there's also people that are just, you know, starting to become more of a more aware of it because it was repressed or um, some people have been in, you know, settings where they were programmed their whole life to not or to try to like repress these feelings and to and to not feel um, this difference and sure. this confusing, this gender dysphoria that some people feel. Um, yeah, so I guess age does, I think that age, you know, age is a question for a lot of people that mm -hmm. work in transgender health. Um, there's not necessarily like a typical age of onset um, right. of the, having these feelings, you know. I would think that Right, I guess if there's the on, depending on what you call onset, but if yeah. it's a younger person, I could get a thesaurus. Um, yeah. Well, I think it's kind of a gray zone. A younger person who has parental closeness and is comfortable sharing that, you know, with family or whomever they're considering parents, I would assume that even at a younger age where they never felt the need to suppress to leave in an older age they would have a less chance of less likelihood of having a substance use disorder because they always felt accepted. They always oh, felt sure. welcome into their family. Yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense to me. Someone who kind of suppressed those feelings or questioned it because they didn't feel safe to talk about it with their family. And then even when they eventually did, seems like that would be much more likely to have mm -hmm. a substance use disorder. Yeah. I think the kind of the, the longer you feel like you have to you know, not necessarily tell the whole truth to people, not be honest with people in your life about your identity, the more, you know, impact that has on your mental health over time. I think sure. it makes people pretty anxious um, and depressed and, yeah. And it strengthens that shame or 
that yeah. intra whatever we called it. Yeah, and knowing <laughs> that you have that parental support would definitely be impactful. Okay, Kurt, you want to move on? We probably <laughs> should. He here's the um, here's the thing. I don't know that we're going to get through all of these. I told you. That. And I'm wondering if we should uh, just do a couple more on the discrimination side. Yeah, maybe do these next two discrimination things, and then and we then can we'll, come back and go into more. And then we'll talk about some of the stressors <laughs> uh, and some of the prevalence data. So Great. we have this Rhode Island study, it looks like. Yes. Oh, Massachusetts, too. Yep, Rhode Island and Massachusetts. There were 600 transgender adults. Um, it was an assessment on discrimination and lifetime substance use disorder diagnosis. Um, again, it's a survey, so it's self-reported um, mm. diagnosis of substance use disorder. Um, but they filled out an everyday discrimination scale in combination with the transgender-related discrimination variable, um, similar to the last study that we talked about. Sure. Um, now, here's the thing. If I was told to fill out something every day, I'd, get, I'd hit like 30%. Just It's not every day. <laughs> You're so not funny. Come on, that was just a little funny. Mika, <laughs> took me a make second. A, make a ruling on that. <laughs> that was kind of funny. Okay, anyway, go ahead. It wasn't funny at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see where where so were they, we? So <laughs> they filled out these studies, the survey, and so it said attributed perceived reasons to their experience of discrimination. So mm -hmm. the, it sounds like the patients themselves or the the people themselves who had been diagnosed with substance use disorder, who considered themselves transgender adults, felt that being transgender kind of led to their experience of discrimination. Is that kind of the take home? Yes, exactly. Yeah. That was the, they were able, able to attribute the discrimination they had experienced to their transgender identity. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Not perfect in their experience, but perfect in understanding. Yes, yes got yeah. it. Uh, the fact that you actually understood it was mm. pretty amazing, but go ahead. All right. Maybe and let's see. So last. it looks like 11.8% of the population of those um, that took that study um, had self-reported substance use disorder diagnoses. Wow. Um, and social and economics. Should we just like pause and then, yeah, because these look like, let's come back next week and pick up from You there. know, okay. I do think one thing we should mention is you do have just a little picture of Rhode Island on there, and <laughs> I don't think Heather knew that was where Rhode Island was, but that's just me. You weren't listening, were you? <laughs> I don't know what Rhode Island looks like either. I had to look <laughs> it up, and I was like... It's a weird shape. I thought there's no way she even I knows that's Rhode been Island. There, I have been to Rhode Island. Why? One of our trips. They actually have. I think it's Rhode Island. Maybe it's Connecticut. Never mind. They have this. They have this. Not grocery store. Furniture store. It's humongous, and they have like an indoor, like blacklit ropes course. Okay. If sweet. there's anybody that listens to this that can confirm that, send that to our. Uh, Do it. It is a <laughs> furniture store. I think it's Connecticut. Now that we are talking about it, yes. It is. I have pictures is Connecticut of the my same kids. as Rhode Island? I think That's so. Right next to yeah. me, but they're both smaller than Minnesota, <laughs> even combined. So anyway, all right. Let's next week we're going to talk a little bit about prevalence uh, and uh, and SUD diagnosis. And yep, all that. This podcast is brought to you by Ars Longa Media and produced by Dr. Patrick Beeman, and of course the music is by Battle Legs on Spotify. Reach out to us for any type of information or questions. Please email us at the addiction connection podcast at gmail.com. Hey, I feel sick and I feel used. 
You ain't the boy I thought I knew You know you put me on your shelf You never think of no one else But you said Lord, I'm sick and Lord, I'm tired of love Lord, I can't believe it's true Think that after five years I'd know you But I don't And after all this time Come to find you're just another stupid boy You're just another stupid boy Hey, I'd done anything for you Just about anything you'd ask me to I put your needs above my own Can't stand to be alone, but I live. Lord, I'm sick and Lord, I'm tired of love. Lord, I can't believe it's true. You think that after five years I would know you, but I don't. And after all this time, I come to find. You're just another stupid boy You're just another stupid boy Stupid boy, you're just another stupid boy.